can be very difficult to build relationships with security teams. At the end of the day, they are human beings. Our identity has no correlation with our function if we don't allow it. We live in a society that correlates functions with identity and lacks you to believe that you're only worth it if you raise X millions of funds, if you have a title or status. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome to another episode of Audience First. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Nadia El-Fartasi with me today. I, I would love you to just take me through your backstory because I am i don't want to butcher your absolutely incredible experience. Nadia, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you and why do you do what you do? Thank you very much, Danny. And uh, I'm very excited to be here and to talk about something that is very close to my heart and very passionate about. So who am I? I am a human being, a humanist, as I like to call it. I love humanity and I love humanity to uh, to use their fuller potential, right? No matter where you come from. And it sounds very Ethiopian, but I think it's important to remember this. We all have positive intention. With that said, I worked, I come from a very security intense world. I worked at NATO, the world's largest security and crisis management organization for almost 20 years in all various capacities, but always in stakeholder engagement and strategy and communication. And we were responsible for the digital uh, footprint for cybersecurity and for the transformation, the technological transformation as, as our soldiers and civilians were deployed in field. But also, you know, I think sometimes we forget that Technology is the anatomy of the world's footprint, right? And it's a nervous system, and it is not an afterthought. It is the foundation, especially now in the digital age, because we are all processing payments, working data online, chatting online, meeting new people online, whatever it is that we do. It's mostly online, and it's not going to, you know, it's going to continue to a certain extent. So um, after 18 years, though, because I'm still human, I, I, I felt to burn out and uh, it was a very tough period. But I'm always someone who says, OK, what can I learn from this and what is life trying to tell me? So I made a very bold decision that shocked many people. I quit. I resigned. Not because I didn't love my job. I absolutely loved my job. I learned so much. I really want to, to use what I know about practical experience, how people interact, and how can we build human security from the inside out. I decided to use the crisis management security experience and translate it to the human, right? So we reduce um, uh, stress, we reduce burnout, risk of burnout, we reduce uh, risk for miscommunication, lack of collaboration. And we really change these paradigms and put 
people first, and it still drives businesses, it still drives societies. So it really brings emotional intelligence at the forefront from a practical perspective. And and yeah, and then COVID habit happened, and then I really focused more on security specific. And obviously, cyber is a is a huge part of that because everything is now cyber. The security risk comes from a cyber dimension. That's that's incredible. And and I think um, what was it, two weeks ago or so. Uh, I mean, how we were introduced. You spoke about um, the concept or your what you term emotional firewalls. And I'd love to dig into that, dig in deep and, and understand what is that? What is the definition of an emotional firewall? What does it mean to build them and how do you do that? Yeah. So let me, let me first do a little experiment to hopefully better uh, imprint understanding. <laughs> I always like, you know, to explain things in people's map of the world. So when was the last time you felt uh quite significant discomfort, whether it was try, whether it was at work, whether it was some, someone said something to you, whether you know you had a worry or an anxiety. A week and a half, maybe two. We can have maybe two ago. Yeah. And uh, what, was, what specifically did it trigger you? Was it the action of someone else or something that happened? Or was it your own thought process? Uh, I would say um, ambiguity, some ambiguity uh, in my environment and, uh, thought processes on my own. And how did you decide to respond? Did you respond based on what you were feeling on a discomfort or did you, uh, do something differently? I first responded and then I did something different. <laughs> <laughs> you see, and this is what I refer, and I will explain the methodology and science behind it. But imagine you have, I don't have a soda bottle, but this is a bottle of water, right? Imagine you have the same bottle and it's soda. So the bottle of soda is filled with bubbles, right? And the more you shake it, when you open it, it will explode, right? So we all have emotions stuck within us, right? that will be triggered at a certain point, whether it's external environment, whether it's, you know, thought processes, internal and external. But when shaken to the point of no return, you open it, the soda bottle will explode, right? Having emotional firewalls is having water because the water you can shake, which when you open it, it won't explode. Just like when we talk about tech, this is why I use emotional firewalls because of technical firewalls. What do technical firewalls help? Uh, IT teams or security teams do manage access control, decide what goes in, what goes out to reduce the risk of infecting systems, affecting cloud networks. Same thing is with emotions. So when we, when we understand that emotional intelligence, right, this is the, the official definition I work with, emotional firewalls is a symbolic meaning for the security world to help people understand that. Emotional intelligence is how we use dynamic information, how we relate to ourselves, to others, and to our environment. It really deals with immediate challenges, with coping mechanisms. It provides you the toolbox to navigate your immediate surroundings. Your cognitive intelligence, your intellect, is long-term strategic. So imagine you have an elevator in life, which is your IQ, and your emotional intelligence, right, the trajectory upwards, your EQ bold in order to navigate right the immediate challenges 
And when we think about emotional intelligence, we need to separate between general feelings and emotions. Now, imagine um, yesterday I had a horrible night of sleep. I only slept three hours. So the whole day I was feeling cranky. I was feeling a bit sad. I was feeling, you know, a bit pessimistic. I understood that my brain was signaling to my body that there is an energy deficit. So I allowed it to play out and I didn't tell myself stories that made it worse, right? I didn't look for factors externally to me, people externally to me, to justify, to make sense of my feelings, which what people tend to do when they experience an energy deficit because of, you know, food intake, glucose, bad night of sleep, what I know, whatever it is, the brain is designed for survival. Its main job is survival. It's not for thinking. So when we feel stress, discomfort, right, it tries to uh, manage the energy levels. Now, emotions, right, why did I ask you for your thought process? Based on how we grew up, the formative years, between zero and seven years old, that's how we develop our map of the world. That's how we learn to give meaning to concepts from our caregivers, from schools, from parents. And this is different for different people and even in different cultures and even within different families, right? So the, the thoughts that you think, they kind of construct an emotion or trigger an emotion. So for example, if you are, in a, let's put this in a marketer uh, position, if you are a marketer and you're trying to uh, put your value proposition to a security specialist, who really tears down your value proposition, but you have a thought that perhaps your product is not good enough or you're not good enough in selling or you're not good enough in marketing or whatever it is, right? The emotion you're likely going to feel is a negative one, is of discomfort. And if you allow that emotion to take over and not let it flow through you, you don't have emotional firewalls. So what I mean with emotional firewalls to allow people first, you know, to really not, uh, to allow the process to unfold and not get triggered easily by what's happening externally. And this is huge for social engineering because cyber criminals and scandals bring on people's both emotions of fear, anxiety, right? Distraction, but also emotions of the need for uh, uh, belonging, need to feel appreciated. How does someone feel when you appreciate them? There's literally a hormoning or something going on in our brain, right? It feels the surge of feeling good, our, our trust hormone increases, and we create this bond and this rapport. So our alert level is down or it goes down. And it's easier then to get information out of us, to get things, you know, to not pay attention. So it's really emotional firewalls is practicing finding that balance. In my experience working with security and my experience or insight on what I see on how marketing is perceived, how it's confused with sales, we stigmatize sales and how we really need to have these emotional firewalls because we are moving in the era of entrepreneurship, right? And marketing and sales is offering a service. And if the service is helping someone else, it's only natural to feel worthy to accept the payment for that service, right? And, and, and I think we can get distracted with some of the debate, online debate, which is why second reason we need to have emotional files because there are a lot of debates on there and you can easily get thrown off your feet even if you don't suffer from imposter syndrome, right? 
if you if you dwell on that. So let me go back first to what I think may you know may, some people may resonate with them. Now, from a marketer perspective, it is understanding what is your goal, right? What is your goal? It is uh, trying to describe a product or a service in such a way that your ideal customer persona can feel better after using it, right? And there's an excellent uh, clip from a film. I think it's Wolf, uh, the Wall Street Wolf, but I'm not sure with Leonardo DiCaprio, where he sits in a cafe and he asks the three guys or the people on his table, sell me this pen, right? And the first one or two, they're trying to sell the pen. They're describing the pen, right? So imagine the marketing describing the product. Well, the other one was describing, right? How would you feel if you could sign this contract right now? How would, you know, what would you need? How would that make you feel if you can do it with pride, with grace of all the blood and sweat you've put in there? So that would feel amazing, but I don't have a pen. Here it goes. You see, didn't even talk about the pen. He talked about the feeling. So when, I, when it's a marketer, it's really shifting the perspective on not describing your product, right? necessarily, but understanding people in general seek pleasure or avoid pain, right? So security people have a lot of pain points, right? You can't blame them, especially now with the human service attack, which is, is huge. And, uh, and their job is to minimize risk, minimize security. Their job, they don't, you know, against popular opinion, security people don't wake up in the morning and says, I'm going to make the marketer's life miserable. I don't want to, you know, they, they, no, not at all. But their job is to make sure security is high to, ri to minimize risk for liability on the organization, right? To provide something that is safe and secure. So when you seek to understand before being understood, when you invest in understanding, how can I help minimize their pain, right? And, and this is what I mentioned to you during the LinkedIn Live, to truly understand whether your service or product can do that. And if it can do that, to either refer or to be honest about it. Because in the long run, if you're going to work with people, with clients, and your product is not a fit for purpose, it is going to be negative energy throughout the process. You're going to increase your negative emotions and you're going to hurt the credibility of your organization and yourself, your reputational, right? So I think from a marketing perspective, this is uh, how they can look at it, really always be very, you know, work on the self, right? We all suffer from it, pastor syndrome. I also suffer from it. I think it's, you know, sometimes we blow these concepts out of proportion. We're still a human being. Being human is a magical mess. It is only normal to doubt yourself because when something is unfamiliar to our mind, we feel discomfort. And here is where we need to flip the script, feel our feelings of discomfort and flip the script because it is unfamiliar to the mind. So what does the mind do? It goes back to past memory. It goes back to what is comfortable, right? And it keeps you there. And then it keeps your stories alive that, keep, that keeps you stuck. Right. And this is why they say that you will find freedom at the other side of comfort. And I always say when I love discomfort and doubt, I embrace it because it's a huge sign I am growing. And, you know, if we do the same thing we've always done, we will be where we are. 
So is it just about jumping in and really breaking out of your comfort zone? What What is it? Like, how do you do it? Not necessarily. I, I don't necessarily enjoy, uh, or not enjoy, but I don't like the word fearless because I think yeah. fear has an important function, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if if we all would be fearless, I would, I would uh, not go bungee jumping. I'm glad I am fearful of bungee jumping, right? Because yes, maybe I saw a couple of, you know, bungee jumping going wrong and that is enough to keep me out. But that's not something I really need in order for me to thrive in life. Here is where it comes. Understanding what are your core values, right? What is important to you in your work? How are your core values of the organization? Really understanding because what is important to you, you will feel strongly about, right? And that's when you need to navigate fear. And sometimes navigating fear doesn't mean jumping all in. It means I'm going to take one step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do a little bit. You know, I had, you know, years ago I, or several years ago, I, I really suffered from uh, not being able to say no to people I was close to, I cared about, right? So I remember I mean, I was recovering from a burnout and I had my yoga teacher coming at home. And he always did not want to take his shoes off. And I really like my house clean without external uh, uh, dirt. And I was, you know, I, I, I had like my, I couldn't speak. I'm like, oh my God, I can't tell him to take his shoe off. What will he think, et cetera. So I started saying, setting boundaries and saying no. And I asked him, can you please take his shoes off? Said, of course. I'm like, really? Was that easy? I went further and further. And this, I mean, with the people I'm very close to, right? Uh, and and I think for other people, maybe it will be people that they don't know that they that they don't set boundaries. But it's important to understand what are your core values in your personal life. How are they aligned with your organization? Because if you work for an organization and your core values really clash, it's going to increase negative emotions. It's going to increase, you know, your you know your lower your levels of motivation and engagement. It's going to be very difficult to build relationships with security teams. And this is the last thing I will say about this. It's it's building relationship team. Security people may, and I'm generalizing, which I don't necessarily like to do, but some maybe we have a perception that security people are very, you know, unaccessible. At the end of the day, they are human beings. We all go to the bathroom, whether we like to admit it or not. Our identity has no correlation with our function if we don't allow it. We live in a society that correlates functions with identity and lacks you to believe that you're only worth it if you raise X millions of funds, if you have a title or status, right? I don't necessarily believe in that. It doesn't mean that I don't believe in work ethic. I don't believe in experience and working hard and, you know, going through the experience, not falling for the trap of instant gratification, putting in the word learning, but to see people as people. To genuinely come from a place, how can I help you? You will get many no's. Continue. It's a feedback. No doesn't mean no. It means come back later. Not for me. Another time. How can you improve? Can you imagine when I started with emotional firewalls? I mean, doors were slammed in my face. People even laughed at me. <laughs> really. I never, I, I mean, I, I learned from my career. And made, I developed skin as thick as down, as Christine Lagarde used to say. I didn't let that hold me back. What I did, I went, how can I frame it better? How can I, you know, uh, uh, relate it better? How can I focus on the people that do want to learn more, that can use it, et cetera, right? 
and it is not about me necessarily. It's not about my ego, although our ego gets hurt. It's about how can I really help solve a problem? There's an enormous problem when it comes to human factor, right? People are being scammed. People are depressed or depleted, right? And it increases the cyber risk because of human error, because of human, you know, behavior, etc. Now, there are other solutions that are important. There are so many dimensions when it comes to cyber. But my role is to help minimize the human pain, minimize the human risk, and help people feel empowered and not feel a victim so they can defend themselves against criminals, but also believe in their worth and what they're doing, building a thriving digital society based on humanity, not becoming a slave to technology. We need AI, we need technology. We should never become a slave to technology. That, that is so powerful, so powerful. And I think, you know, to your point about not giving up, it, it ties back to your core value. You really have to believe in that one core value and that will define and stay consistent, that will define the success over time. And, and then you mentioned boundaries uh, earlier. Are boundaries um, also correlated with assertiveness yes you have to use assertiveness to communicate your boundaries right yeah i think people when they hear boundaries they think it's parameter to keep people out or the, not at all it is your way of communicating how you want to live a healthy and fulfilling life right and especially when it comes to at work etc and if you have if you're someone who hasn't learned that right it also depends large part on how you grew up right what kind of family environment you grew up and what is your attachment style in relationship? Now, I'm not going to go into too much that, but if you're someone who does struggle for lack of boundaries, I do advise you research about attachment styles in relationships and how they are developed. I think it can give you a lot of insight on how to set healthy boundaries for yourself. So uh, often what happens, and let's keep this in the, at the workplace, for example, when you you mentioned that how can you you know deal with the, the the stress or the pressure from managers or from from management outside, so when we don't say no, when we don't have boundaries, right, we keep piling up, we keep accepting, it reduces the quality of our work, it depletes us, the customer will feel it, and ultimately the reputation of the organization will suffer, and then you will get blamed, and all you try to do help and do more and do more and do more right so and uh, when uh, you have boundaries when you say i have too much work or i cannot do this right what happens at the first occasion when someone ignores your boundaries you go complain with your colleagues with your friends you vent you keep it within you until you turn a bottle of soul that is going to explode at one point right so instead of understanding the consequences of one not affecting your boundaries, right? So if, for example, you, st you struggle with too many quotas in, in, in uh, can you give me an example of one of the challenges that marketers face when it comes to, to, to uh, cybersecurity marketing? I mean, just one example, you know, double revenue year over year with, yes. you know, limited budget. Go yeah. fast, do it fast. Exactly. So 
if you, if if you don't have a boundaries and understanding, you know, it's, it's I think it's 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 a double as short, right? Because the famous quote from Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you cannot, you're right, right? But I think we go about it the wrong way. If you're going to reach your quotas fast from a place of negative emotion, your energy levels are going to drop. Your motivation is going to drop. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to suffer. <laughs> it's not going to be fun. Be fun. Perhaps first month, but after that, it's drag, right? So how can you come from a place of excitement and positive emotions and understand that, yes, setting uh, high goals is important, but having a very honest and frank conversation in in uh, how you go about that, right? And if you set these boundaries that, okay, this is our goal and this is the minimum I will commit to, right? That you have a plan for it. And if then, for example, the management or the organization like, dismisses it completely or whatever, you do need to have that conversation. So at, the, at the first uh, sight, when your boundaries is not respected or when you're being, for example, blamed or there's no process in navigating this, how are you going to use assertiveness to talk this through? Collaboration, communication. Assertiveness is sharing your opinions and your view, even if it's opposing other people's views. Now, I mentioned healthy levels of assertiveness. If you have passive assertiveness, then you are not implementing your boundaries. You're just going to take it and take it and take it, right? You're not going to meet your targets. The manager is going to be extremely upset. Why didn't you ring the alarm? Why didn't you tell me this before? We could have looked at another solution or you're going to turn to the other end aggressive, right? You're going to use anger and, and, and really being on the attack and defense mode and really, you know, push your view, your opinion, your truth onto someone else. So it's finding that balance and understanding that you don't necessarily have to react based on someone else's behavior, to really clear emotional firewalls right? and, and in your views, repeat your views. If someone is being very aggressive or emotionally charged, there's no point in having a logical conversation with them. Ask them that you don't quite feel safe right now in having this conversation, or you would like to take this up further time when we are both calm and walk away, right? It is really using common sense. And that is healthy levels of assertiveness to understand that people we come from a need, an unmet need. So if you are, which I hope is not the case, uh, but I've been there as well, manager that yells at you, their unmet need is the pressure to meet the quota in order to reach profit levels, in order to satisfy the board or, or the CEO, right? So that is their need. It's not necessarily their need is to make your life miserable, right? But you you have to, it is, it is, it is a, again, a double-edged short because it's an individual responsibility to take care of your well-being, but it's also a responsibility because you can't get better in the same environment that made you sick, right? So I think it's really important to, to have all these tools and emotional firewalls in place. But if you're working in a place that doesn't allow for that, right, it's time to ask questions. And it's hard, right, because we all feel fear. There are low unemployment rates. We don't want to leave our job. We're scared, you know, we don't get another job. But I, I, I mean, I, some, I still say no to projects, even if I could use the money, for example, right? Because I've been in burnout and I know that the most important thing in my entire life is my health. Without my health, I can't inspire people. I can't take care of my son. I can't do my work. I can't help organizations build emotional firewalls, right? And I will never, ever compromise on my health 
or being, you know, disrespected my core values for, uh, 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 for, for money. And it's always worked out so much better than I can imagine. And it's really being coming comfortable with the discomfort and believing also in yourself and having, okay, what environment do I want to work in and how can I, and often, you know, we go to worst case scenario often, you know, when you have this conversation with your leadership and management, and, and if it's a healthy organization, they're very much open, you know, and, and I had this with security teams, with military leaders, built wonderful relations. When we learn to communicate, when we don't stay stuck in our bottle of soda, we communicate from a place, this is my point of view, this is my map of the world. We don't say, this is your fault, you made me do this, or you are treating me this way. This is how I feel. I'm curious, what do you think? And it requires being a bottle of water so you can have a, 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 uh, a conversation from a place of what I call reason, right? from a place of calmness, not when your amygdala turns your brain into a size of a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the times that I've actually felt people's amygdalas turn into the size of peanuts, <laughs> there go up my emotional firewalls. So... <laughs> Um, I know I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're heading towards, um, towards the end of the session, but I, I, I'd love for you to give us one piece of like practical advice that you, you did part to the audience today. What I would do is to create an empathy map. I don't know if you know what an empathy map is, but an empathy map is, so if this is specifically for marketers or for people who, who sell, is to create an empathy map with the person, so your ideal uh, persona or your most challenging persona, even if it's you know working with colleagues, uh, managers, etc. Put an empathy map, and then have several lines, right? So when it comes to their mind, what are they thinking? What is what goes on in someone's mind, right? And uh, so really have what are they thinking? What are they hearing? What are people telling them? Or what are, what are they hearing? What are they seeing, right? What are their pain points? And what are their uh, wins? What would they want to see, right? And when you have an empathy map, right? And you can even add, you know, uh, more information as you go. So you make it very personal. And then whatever marketing strategy you develop or even how you converse in a, situ in a, in a conversation, you can use that to uh, drive your conversation. Second practical point I will do is use active listening through the LSD model. And I'm not talking about the Amsterdam LSD. It's called listening, summarizing, deepening understanding, which listening is, is difficult because we listen to reply most of the time. Emotional firewalls will help you to listen, to understand. So you really are practicing to stay focused. And focused is scarcity because how many times do we read people have seven seconds attention span? Which I don't like because the more you repeat it, the more people will think they have seven seconds of attention span and fall in the trap that they actually can't focus on something more than one minute, right? Which they can if they make the effort and practice it. <laughs> if you spend the another someone, another someone follow is Andrew Huberman, who is a brilliant neuroscientist who has podcasts and who shares. And one of the techniques he shares is to practice your focus is by uh, honing on a point on your screen on the bottom, whether it's left or right, for a minute and then two minutes, right? To really focus eyesight, focus, practice eyesight, focus on one point. 
And this is helpful because when you're listening to someone, right, when they're talking, you will have the urge to speak. You will have the urge to react. Maybe they're saying something you completely feel the opposite about. It's not about you. It's about understanding. They're not saying this to trigger you. We perceive the world as we are, not as it is. How many times do we react because someone says something and we thought they must have said it because of me? <laughs> it was personal and not at all. So it's really important to bring back every time your brain, your thoughts, you know, we have about uh, 70,000 thoughts a day and only 5% are new. So we have to be very intentional about it. And then ask questions to understand, to understand, to also establish common understanding, just because someone says something, you may understand something very differently. And it's important to establish a common understanding. So ask questions, open questions. So if I'm correctly, if I understood right, this is what, how you feel about this particular situation. Am I correct? Right. And then you give them a chance to say yes or no, or go into that. It also gives you time to summarize, right? And then deepen the understanding. What specific, we are so much, much on autopilot because of the pressures of the deadlines. So we also need to others to get out of that, right? Ask specific questions. If someone says, well, the solution has never worked for me. Really? Specifically? What time did, did, did it work for you? Or what specifically doesn't work? It allows us to go from system one of the brain, which is shortcut mental models, to system two of the brain, which is more critical thinking, which takes effort. This is why we don't like to be so much in our system two, because it takes a lot of mental effort, right? So understanding these techniques can really help you understand the person, their problem, and how are we going to get them from there? Don't necessarily focus on the fear or on the problem too much, but you know, what is the alternative? How is your service or solution going to help them feel and live in the alternative? And what is the exact roadmap to get there? So these are the two practical advices. I would give. Oh, you, you totally, you know, unfolded so many great concepts and frameworks that we could really drill into. And I'd love to have you back if you're, if you're up for it, because you, you touched on two frameworks and then you talked about system one and system two. I love Kahneman. I love fast and slow thinking. And I think, you know, part of um, my passion, you know, when, when I deal with conversion rate optimization is thinking about fast and slow thinking, right. And how you're serving up information. And so we got to drill into that on another episode, if you're up for it, but this has been absolutely fascinating and absolute pleasure to have you and so such a refreshing um side of things to think to think of things and in my opinion a very critical conversation to have that we should all be having really so thank you nadia and again you're welcome anytime thank you danny it was uh, my absolute uh, pleasure and now I'll, I'll, i am doing you know more uh, uh, writing more resources and publishing thing about this so uh, anyone can feel free to connect with me on uh, on LinkedIn. You can see I'm very active on LinkedIn. Yep. <laughs> I love mm -hmm. I love storytelling. So it was my absolute pleasure, and I'm I'd be more than happy to come back.